Welcome to Gather and Gain's new midweek prophecy podcast. This is a this is a new thing for us. We wanted to be able to bring to you guys a Bible teaching midweek, and with our uh, the spread of our fellowship in the southwest here, uh, getting together is tricky or can be tricky, and so. We're doing this online at the moment. Uh, who knows where the Lord will lead this? But we, uh, yeah, we, as I said, we wanted to bring your Bible teaching midweek. And uh, the purpose of it is that we wanted to encourage you, the believer. We wanted to prepare you and we wanted to bring you hope in these last days in which we live. But why Bible prophecy? Why is it that these midweek Bible teachings uh, specifically focused around Bible prophecy. And, and those topics within Bible prophecy will range as we get in. Uh, we're going to kick off by looking at the rapture next week uh, and we're going to spend a few weeks there. And, uh, and then we're going to move into some verse-by-verse studies of the Revelation, or should I say the book of Revelation or Jesus' Revelation. And uh, though some... Uh, might not necessarily think, well, why Revelation? Is that prophecy? Well, yeah, it is prophecy. And so we're going to verse by verse that book, which is going to be exciting. Um, But let me first clarify with you what Bible prophecy is. Because we, as so Gather and Gain, we run Bible prophecy conferences. We, uh, We ran one in Busselton in January, and we're looking forward to running our next one in Perth. It's called the Awake Conference Perth, Saturday 9th of September. So we run these Bible prophecy conferences. And after the Busselton Conference this year, we had an attendee who expressed their dissatisfaction in, in the conference, in the event. And the reason that was the case was that there wasn't any prophecy at the Bible prophecy conference, meaning that there wasn't any prophesying over people that occurred at the conference that typically occurs at uh, Pentecostal churches. And I have nothing against Pentecostal churches, but that was the prophecy that this person was looking for. Uh, In their mind, apparently no one was exercising the gift or the spiritual gift of prophecy and therefore there was no prophecy at this conference. But I have two problems with that and I I wanted to share these with you in order that we might grasp what is Bible prophecy before we launch into this this prophecy podcast. The two problems I had with this was the first is that this is a clear misunderstanding of the spiritual gift of prophecy as described in Scripture. Now, I'm not going to take my time or our time now describing accurately what this spiritual gift is, but for a full biblical explanation, because sadly, so much of what we see in the church these days, or should I say specific local churches, is not a biblical picture of prophecy and many of the other spiritual gifts. Sometimes it's an abuse of these gifts and even... Uh, to the extent of sometimes that, uh, that they are not necessarily even of God at all, meaning uh, demonic in nature. So for a full biblical explanation, go to our website, 
gatherandgain.org forward slash study and search out the study titled Who is the Holy Spirit? Part 5. So we're, we're on Sundays, we're going through this series and Who is the Holy Spirit? Part 5 is the study that addresses and looks at the biblical explanation for prophecy uh, as well as apostleship, I believe. So that's the first problem I have. It's a misunderstanding of the gift of prophecy. The second problem that I had with this, um, with these reservations was that it was a Bible prophecy conference. Bible prophecy. What do I mean by that? I'm going to read to you uh, from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 to 10. Remember the form of things, former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, declares the Lord. See, Bible prophecy is where God in Scripture declares the end from the beginning. He declares what's going to happen at the end of time or in future times and he does so from the beginning or from before those things take place. See, God tells us what is going to happen in advance so that when it comes to pass, so that when eventuates, and it will, that we will know that he did it and that we will know that he is God and there is only one true God. And I love how God challenges the idols and the quote-unquote gods of, of man. Isaiah, again from Isaiah, chapter 41, verses 21 to 24. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the King of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them, that is idols, gods of man, Bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare to us things to come, future. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Yes, do good or do evil that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. God says, no one can declare the end from the beginning like I can. And anyone who says that they can is a liar. And if you choose to follow after things like that, it is an abomination, so says God. See, Bible prophecy is God declaring things before time, what will take place. And the Bible is full of predictive statements and prophetic visions. It's incredible. There's no other religious book or religion in all of history that can make this same claim. See, by different counts, prophecy in the Bible accounts for somewhere between 27 and 33% of the entire Bible, of every verse in the Bible. 
27 to 33%. So that means that more than a quarter of the verses, perhaps even around one third of all verses in scripture are prophetic. That's quite incredible. That is quite incredible. What's even more incredible is the detailed nature of these prophecies and the amazing accuracy by which God fulfills them. As I said, there is no other religion or religious book that can make that claim. The Bible stands alone and well, and as well it should, because there is only one true God. You may have noticed, and I can't even remember if I did say, um, that the accuracy by which these prophecies are being fulfilled I'm not sure if I did say that, but truth is, uh, not all prophecies that are written in Scripture, that are written in that one third, have been fulfilled. The problem with that is that many churches will teach you that all things have been fulfilled in Christ, that is, at His first coming. Now, whilst I agree that in Christ all things will be fulfilled, that is, in Him and through Him, everything will be fulfilled. He has not brought to completion all things yet. All right. So of that one-third of all Scripture that is prophetic, which, interestingly enough, many churches will not touch, many churches won't touch prophecy, meaning many churches will completely ignore one-third of all scripture. In fact, I was in a home group where I was asked essentially to ignore those parts of scripture, which is quite incredible. But not all of scripture has been fulfilled as many churches unfortunately will teach. Truth is only about or just slightly more than one half of all biblical predictions have already been fulfilled precisely as God had declared that they would be. So that means that we're left with almost half of that one third. So almost half of all prophecy in Scripture is still left unfulfilled. Let me give you an example. Okay, so not all, this is the first thing I want us to understand is that not all of Bible prophecy has been fulfilled yet. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 16. And this is uh, the first example of the truth that not all Scripture is being fulfilled. Because many churches will, and many people, many Christians will say, well, everything's done. All prophecy is, is finished. It's over. But we know biblically that that is not the case. I mean, for example, has Jesus come a second time? Has the new heaven and new earth been, earth been established? Well, no, of course not. And, uh, and so we know that all of those prophecies are yet to be filled. So if someone tells you that all prophecies have been fulfilled in Christ, it's just not biblically true. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, that is Jesus, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. They marveled at him declaring the fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah in him. This would have been an incredible moment. Jesus straight up claimed to be the fulfillment of scripture on this occasion. And he would continue to do this throughout his time on earth. And in fact, whether he declared it or not, he would be the fulfillment of scripture time and time again. But what is even more incredible than what he said, that is what he read and what he claimed, is what actually he didn't say. So what do I mean by that? Well, the prophecy that Jesus read was out of Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, which reads this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus stopped right there and he sat down and he declared that he was the fulfillment of that prophecy on that day. But what he didn't say was the rest of the prophecy. He stopped mid-sentence. So where he stopped is in the middle of verse 2, where it says to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There's a comma there, not a full stop. The prophecy continues and it continues by saying, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. That is, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, that's where Jesus stopped, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. So Jesus stopped the scripture reading before the prophecy mentions the day of vengeance. Jesus' omission tells us that he was yet to fulfill that part of prophecy. There is still so much prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. Even in that one claim of Jesus, he didn't claim to have fulfilled the day of vengeance, that is the day of the Lord, which begins at the beginning of the tribulation period that is yet future. This, is, this period of time that Jesus omitted there, that's the period of time that's known as eschatology. Uh, or the study of last things or end times in Scripture. So it's the last days, the end times events in Scripture that uh, we term eschatology, or, or that is the study of those things is what is termed eschatology. So there's still many things that are yet to be fulfilled. So says Jesus, and so says Scripture, uh, as all of those things that speak of end 
times events are still yet to be fulfilled. The second thing is that Bible prophecy that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled perfectly and literally. Prophecy that has been fulfilled already has been fulfilled perfectly and literally. And this is really important. And I want to hone in on this. So what we've seen so far is that not all of prophecy has been fulfilled. There's still some to come. But that which has been fulfilled, and that is more than half of all prophecy in Scripture. So that is more than half of that third of Scripture that speaks of uh, prophecy or that is predictive. You see, when we read Scripture, and this is, uh, this is what I want us to grasp here. When we're talking about prophecy that has been fulfilled, when we're, when we're reading Scripture, passages must always be taken in their normal, regular, plain, literal meaning. Why do I claim that? Why do I say that? See, unless the context of the passage indicates that it is figurative or symbolic in nature, and it does so time and time again, a literal reading of Scripture does not actually remove the possibility of figures of speech being used. It doesn't. A literal reading of Scripture, that is, reading it normally, in a regular, plain, literal manner, does not remove the possibility of figures of speech being used. It rather encourages the reader to not read figurative language into the meaning of the passage unless it is appropriate for that context. It is crucial never to seek after a deeper or more spiritual meaning than is presented. See, if we spiritualize or symbolize at our own will, then scripture becomes subject to each person's own impression of what it means. And all of a sudden, truth becomes relative instead of absolute. See, we need to read Scripture as it is written. We need to have a high view of the Word of God that says, I'm going to trust what the Word says. And if it speaks figuratively, then we literally will read it figuratively, if I can put it that way. If it speaks symbolically, then we will read it in the plain language that is written that says this passage is symbolic of something else. And how do we know what that something else is? Well, if it's symbolic and the Bible wants us to know, it will show us that that is symbolic of something. So, for example, just off the top of my head, when the Bible speaks of the Word of God being as a double-edged sword, we know that the Word of God is not a sword, but we know that when it speaks of a double-edged sword, it is speaking of the Word of God and the power of the Word of God. Why? How do we know that? Because the Bible articulates that and we interpret Scripture with Scripture. So, if we look at scripture that has been fulfilled sorry if we look at bible prophecy that has been fulfilled they have been fulfilled perfectly and literally and this is one of the reasons why or the proofs why we need to read things plainly and literally uh, because time and time again when scripture refers 
to something that happens in the future, when it comes to pass, it comes to pass perfectly and literally as it was written. And if that is true, and it is, then this becomes our precedent for understanding unfulfilled Bible prophecy. What do I mean by that? If the prophecy, if prophecies that have been fulfilled already have been fulfilled perfectly, literally, specifically, then the Bible prophecy that is still yet to be fulfilled should also be fulfilled in the future perfectly, literally, and with incredible specificity. That's how we need to, that's the assumption that we need to make. It would be a wrong assumption to make that because Bible prophecy is fulfilled literally, therefore future Bible prophecy will be fulfilled figuratively or spiritually or symbolically. That's a wrong assumption. Where do we get that assumption? I, I don't know. But the precedent is set. Prophecy gets fulfilled literally time and time again in Scripture. If therefore all the prophecies that relate to Jesus' first coming were fulfilled or have been fulfilled literally, which it has been, then it follows that all prophecies speaking of Jesus' second coming will also be fulfilled literally. Let me give you a couple of examples just to get you thinking. First is the donkey and the horse. Okay, that sounds a little bit weird, but let me, let me read it to you. So the donkey and the horse. Zechariah 9.9, this is the donkey, first of all. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Speaking of Jesus, of course. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So not just a donkey, but a baby donkey. And then fast forward to uh, the New Testament, which is, which is where we read time and time again, fulfillment of Old Testament, John chapter 12, verses 12 to 15. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Jesus rode into Jerusalem at his first coming on a donkey, on a baby donkey. That's the prophecy about the donkey of, that Jesus was riding on coming in at his first coming. And there's a reason it's a donkey too. We won't go into that today, but he rode in on a donkey. And now we have in Revelation 19.11, a prophecy about a horse. That is Jesus riding in on a horse at his second coming. Revelation 19.11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses." 
Now, many churches teach that this is not literal and will not literally happen. Many churches teach that the vast majority of revelation is symbolic and spiritual and has already been done. But wait, Jesus fulfilled riding a donkey at his first coming literally and with incredible specificity down to the fact and the truth that the prophecy said it would be a baby donkey, that is a colt. So if Jesus fulfilled the specificity literally of the first coming prophecy regarding a donkey, so why would he not fulfill with specificity and literally the second coming prophecy regarding him riding on a horse? Truth is, he will. He will be riding a white horse and we, the believers, will also be riding white horses following him. You might have missed that. And again, today is not the day for that. But you see, if Jesus was riding a donkey and he did so literally, the assumption is, as we interpret, or should I say, as we simply read what Revelation says, about his second coming riding a white horse, we need to assume that he will literally specifically fulfill that unless scripture says otherwise that he won't. But it says that he will. And our precedent is a literal specific fulfillment. So we need to trust the word of God and have a high view of the word of God. So that's the donkey and the horse. Second one is the serpent and the dragon. The serpent. Do you remember the serpent from Genesis? Genesis 3.1. We know who that is, right? It's the devil. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? We know what took place after that. It just says the serpent. And we know that that's the devil, but how do we know? Well, we know because scripture tells us in in a number of places. In Revelation 20 verse 2, scripture also tells us. In Revelation 20 verse 2, it says, He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is who? Who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. So, Here we have a confirmation that Satan was literally a serpent. Satan was a serpent. That is, he either took the form of a serpent or he possessed a serpent. Because we know Satan is a spiritual being. Uh, He doesn't have a bodily form necessarily, but he can take forms and he can possess Uh, animals and people. So we know literally that Satan in the garden of Eden either took the form of a serpent or literally possessed a serpent. So we know that that was literal. So when Eve looked at the serpent, that was a, it was a literal serpent that Eve was looking at and that literal serpent, serpent was speaking and it was Satan speaking. It's quite incredible. But if that was true, which we know it is, then it follows that in the last days, Satan will then literally be a dragon. 
How will he do this? I don't know. But the precedent here is a literal fulfillment. Then we need to also trust in the future literal fulfillment. So we read in that one sentence, he laid hold of the dragon. That who was what? That serpent of old who is the devil and Satan. So it flashed back to Genesis where Eve literally saw a serpent and it was literally Satan taking the form of a serpent or possessing the serpent. So in this same sentence, Satan in the last days, that is the future time, was, that is, took the form of the dragon or possessed a dragon. And he was also bound for a thousand years. So again, there's another thing there. There's three, three things. Serpent of old, so refers back to that literal fulfillment of the Satan being the serpent. Therefore, our future reading of this is that Satan should be a dragon or take the form of a dragon and that he will then be bound for a literal thousand years. But that is not what many churches do. So they, they look at the literal precedent and they take a symbolic interpretation. But that's not what scripture says. That's not reading it as it is written. All of that said, this is what Gather and Games New Prophecy podcast is all about. We're going to try to read the Bible as it is written. And we're going to try and make sense of prophecy that is spoken about that is still not yet fulfilled. Many churches won't touch this prophecy, but we're going to. And I'm, ex I'm super excited to be sharing this with you. As I said, we will upload this for you every Wednesday at five o'clock in the afternoon. That way in... Uh, on Wednesday evening, you will have a Bible teaching that you can uh, sit down and open and explore. We hope that this will be an encouragement for you, that it will help prepare you for the times we're living in and that it will bring you hope in these times. And as I said before, next week, we're going to start this journey. Today was a bit of an introduction. Next week, we're going to start this journey by examining what the Bible has to say regarding the believer's blessed hope. That is the rapture of the church. So by way of a taster to whet your appetite, so to speak, I'm going to close with Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking, for, looking forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Next week, we're going to look at the blessed hope of the church. That is the imminent rapture of the church to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Join us next week. We look forward to seeing you Wednesday at 5. Much love and God bless.